So before we get started, I'm going to pray just one more time for us, really for myself, uh, uh, along with all of you. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for this congregation, for my brothers and my sisters in Christ, who you have given me, Father, when you poured out your blood and your spirit uh, for our sakes. I thank you for the redemption we have in you, Lord Jesus, the promise of eternal life, Father God, and um, just the, the ability to walk with you day by day. And so I pray this morning that you would allow me to walk and to speak by faith, Lord, that you would move me out of the way, and that your message would reach the hearts and minds of everyone here. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Where does our help come from? That is going to be the uh, basic question and purpose of our study this morning. Where does our help come from? You know, as Christians, we're given kind of a heavy load, if you think about it. When you go through the Gospels and you hear all that Jesus has to say, when you read the epistles and you, you take in all the, the responsibility and the um, implications of what it means to be part of the church of the living God, it's kind of a lot. Jesus says that we are supposed to be the light to a dark world. We're supposed to be the salt to an ever-decaying culture. He tells us to be perfect as his heavenly Father is perfect. At the end of Matthew, we're called to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them, to teach them to follow his commands. And then you get past Matthew into all the other books, and they just, it's like things pile up. And when I think about that, sometimes I'm like, man, that's a lot. That's a, that's a big load. And if I'm honest, sometimes, you know, I'm still trying to figure out how to deal with me, let alone how I'm supposed to somehow affect the rest of the world. So it's really a, it's a big plate, big shoes to fill. And so this morning, um, what I want us to do is, is think about that. And of course, uh, I think the easiest approach to take is, uh, if we're honest, is to understand that we really can't, we really, and by ourselves, in ourselves, we really can't do it all. We really cannot fulfill that great weight to, to love everyone perfectly, to be reviled and hated, and, and to always bless and to never have an ill thought, right? To serve sacrificially. That in myself, by myself, guys, I don't know that I have it in me. And so I have to ask my question, man, where, how am I supposed to do all this? Where does my help come from in all that? Smart boy. Psalm 121, verse 1 and 2. The psalmist has, a, I think, the same concern. He says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. And we know Pastor Mark has taught us that there's this idea as he's traveling on these roads, he's un the, you know, people are unprotected and there's robbers and thieves hiding in the rocks and the cracks and it's dangerous and it's treacherous. And he says, I lift my eyes up to the hill and I look and where is my help? Where is my protection, right? But he says in verse 2, my help 
comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Well, that's pretty good help. <laughs> uh, I'll take that help. And as Christians, our help, our empowerment, our ability, our worthiness has to come first, foremost, beginning to end, step by step from the Lord. It's the only way, it's the only way we can walk pleasing in God's sight, a walk that is step by step by faith, because without faith, no one, no one pleases the Lord. So we have to understand that we cannot, we should not, and we were never really asked to do any of this alone. Never were we expected to do this in our, in our own power. And so today what I want to talk with you about is what is the promise of the new covenant? What is the promise? And what is the purpose of that promise? You know, in the Old Testament, when we look at what is the picture that God is painting for us, in the Old Testament law, right? And all the, the sacrifices and the tabernacle and the way God interacted with, with man. And you know what the main kind of, the consistent theme that we see there is? Separation. God is holy and he's perfect. Everything he says is verity, absolute truth. I love that, by the way. I didn't even know what that word was until I read the Bible. Uh, he's perfect, and he's, but he's distant. He's untouchable. Right? If you so much as touched Mount Sinai, you, your donkey, your cat, whatever, kill him. And there's us who are wretched and sinful, and we're constantly having to make sacrifices, and we're constantly having to be cleansed, but never fully being cleansed. And so there's this whole idea of separation in the Old Testament, but even in the midst of that, you look at what was God doing with his people, he was providing for them. He was loving them. He was empowering them to do some very amazing things. Since the beginning of time, God has always, always, always given himself a witness. Adam and Eve, right? Abel, who was called a prophet in Luke. Enoch, a preacher of righteousness with whom God was pleased. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. God always had a prophet, always had a witness to the world of who he was, and he was with them. Even in the midst of this great tale of separation, God was with them. And it's really interesting, when you look up the word ruach, which is the word for spirit, ruach Elohim, right, the spirit of God, you know the first time that the spirit is ever mentioned, being on or in somebody, is in Genesis 41? There's a long time between Genesis 1 and Genesis 41. We're talking thousands of years. I don't know how many exactly, but at least a couple. And it's Joseph, after coming out of prison and, and having these dreams, these prophetic dreams, and, and telling Pharaoh, you know, there's a drought coming and you need to do all these things, and here's how you should probably handle it. Pharaoh, actually, the Pharaoh says, well, shoot, if we need someone to handle all this, where are we going to find a guy like Joseph in whom is the Spirit of God? In whom is the Spirit of God? And God's Spirit enabled these prophets, enabled these men to walk with Him and to do supernatural things so that God's witness could continue. Now, typically, at that time, there wasn't, wasn't everybody. It wasn't a whole lot of people. It was typically one guy, 
right? After Joseph, we see Moses, he comes, and he's kind of God's representative um, to the people. And then as the Israelite nation comes out, God empowers his brother Aaron to be a priest. And as Moses is pulling his hair out trying to deal with all these people, God pours his spirit out on 70 elders to help with this work. We see in the promised land, uh, Joshua, and then as, as God's witness goes from uh, a set of people to a nation, then he has to start using judges, and then a king, and then prophets, and he starts as, as the people of God grows, and as the witness of God's people to the world grows, God's empowerment through his people and his testimony also grows, right? But in all of this, there's still separation, there's still separation. There still is God as this outside force kind of coming in and, and doing things and wowing people. Um, and then whoop, he could leave a person just as quickly as he fell upon them. And we've seen that happen. Um, not Gideon. Uh, Samson, he got up and tried to fight a bunch of guys. And it says, and he did not know that the spirit had left him. And he lost that battle. That was unfortunate. Saul, when, when, when David was anointed by God to be the future king, the spirit rests upon him. And in order for the spirit to rest upon David as the king, it had to leave Saul. And even David, a man after God's own heart, in the Psalms cried out, Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And that wasn't just a poetic cry, although it makes a pretty good poetic cry, I think. It was because he was aware that this was very much a possibility. And so this continued to happen and to grow until the time of the Messiah. And there's this 400 years of silence, and then Jesus comes. And Jesus is prophet, he's apostle, he's teacher, he's evangelist, he's the whole nine yards. And just because we use the whole nine yards, we'll say he's the whole ten yards, because I don't know what that term actually means anyways. But he was everything. And Christ walked fully man and fully God, yes, but he walked fully empowered by the Spirit of God. Did you know the scriptures, and I'm sure you do, the scriptures say that Jesus only did and only said what he heard and saw the Father doing. Now, I wish I could say that, but I would be lying if I said I only did what I saw my Father doing, because I don't think Jesus... Uh, ever told me to sit around and play video games, and I did a lot of that over the summer. <laughs> but what's my point? Okay, this is all building up to a point here. First Peter two twenty one through twenty four tells us that Jesus's life here on earth, that all of his suffering, yes, his suffering, but also the way in which he served his Father, was an example. For us, it says this. For to this you were called, talking about the patient suffering of Christ, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. And this idea is not just that, that Christ suffered in the flesh, and so we have to suffer in the flesh, but that it was through God's power, it was through the promise of what was come that God was able to endure such suffering. And he left that, both of those things, a life of suffering and a life of empowerment, as an example 
that we are, as a church and as individuals, supposed to walk in. So this is what um, this is what has been driving me nuts for a couple of weeks now. I'm writing some fancy 33-page paper about the Holy Spirit before and after Pentecost. So I've got all these things rattling in my head, right? And one of the things that has come to my attention as I've been writing this paper for school is this. Typically, when we talk about, or when we hear people talk about all the wonders of the Old Testament, and there were some wonders, okay? I've never seen a pillar of fire lead me around anywhere, so that was pretty wonderful, okay? When we talk about Christ here on earth, we talk about, that's pretty wonderful, and I'm not going to dispute that. But we look back to it and we talk about it as if it was the glory days, as if it was the end-all and be-all, and now we're kind of just living in this normal, you know, somewhat adequate life past the time of God's hands. Now, I don't know that anybody outright says that, but that's generally the tone, okay? And here's why this bothers me. You know, in John 16, uh, 7, John 16, 7, Jesus tells us this. It is to your advantage that I leave. What in the world? How, you know what? If Jesus was here today, I feel like things would be going pretty dang well. Okay? That's just my assumption. But Jesus says, no. It's to your advantage that I leave. Because when I leave, I will send to you another helper, another comforter, another counselor, just like myself. Because we, we look at the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we say they're three different, but they're ones. But you can't talk about the Spirit without talking about Christ. You can't talk about Christ without talking about the Father. This one God. And the Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ. Right? He says, when I leave, I will send my Spirit to you. And Jesus says, the things I have done, you will do. The promise of God in the new covenant is this. Yes, forgiveness of sins. It's a pretty good one. Which leads us to eternal life. Pretty good one. But it's finally the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, we see this, of course, at at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls on the believers and they speak in tongues and they're heard in all these different languages. And Peter, when he gets up to talk to the Israelites about what is going on, you know, what are, how, are, how are we hearing all of this in different languages, he points back to the promise of God in Joel chapter 2. Where he says, and this is Acts 2, 17, referencing Joel 2, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And it goes on. Um, I'm going to end it right there, though, for the sake of time. He points to this promise in the Old Testament as being, a fulfill, as being fulfilled in the Holy Spirit coming. And this was when Jesus died on the cross, he was pointing them forward to a promise. 
Wait to the promise of the Spirit. And then the final thing I want to read in the same chapter, after the men of the Israel, they're cut to the heart and they say, what shall we do in verse 38? Peter says to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord God will call. God has sent us the promise of his spirit, that when Jesus died on the cross, that separation that was so clearly articulated in so many ways has been done away with. The the veil to the holy of holies is torn. The access to God's throne is open. Even in John 7, Jesus says some things, and John says, he says this, the Holy Spirit has not come because he has not yet been glorified. Today, Christ has been glorified. And we have a perfect access to God's Spirit. But the reality is, we tend to still walk in this. Right? We plan in the flesh. We preach in the flesh. We read the Bible in the flesh. We pray in the flesh. Lord, thank you for this meal. I thank you for my day. Yada, yada, yada. And let's eat. Now, I'm not accusing anybody. That's not everybody. But that's the general reality of our lives. And we wonder, where is God in all of this? And why is it so difficult? And in the book of Acts, as soon as the Spirit came, believers' lives were radically changed. They were in each other's houses. They were in the temple. They were worshiping here. They were worshiping there. They were eating with each other with simplicity of heart, praying, reading, singing. And when anyone had need, they sold what they had and they distributed. They sold what they had and they distributed. And they served one another. They served one another with a perfect love. And it was not that somehow they became superhumans. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, who was a, 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 a Christian theologian in the time of the Holocaust, he writes in one of his papers saying that God never meant to bring, come down and make men more than men. No, God came down to make man perfectly man, the way man was intended to be. He did not come to somehow empower us and now some people are really strong and do things really well. No, we're still as weak and as uh, silly <laughs> as we were before. But when we walk in the Spirit, we walk in the power and the wisdom and the purpose that God provides. That God provides. I want to make note of something here. In the book of Acts, it said, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. I was sitting in my, in my kitchen. This is going to sound kind of weird. No one else was home. It was just me and the kids, me and a couple of the kids. So I'm sitting in my kitchen on the floor with my back against the counters. That's just, when I really want to pray, I got to sit down on the floor. I don't know why. It's just personal, Okay. And I'm praying, and I'm praying, and Caden comes in, and he's just staring at me, you know. And I kind of crack an eye, I see him. He's just staring at me. And he comes and sits down by me. And so I started praying out loud since he's there. Just, I don't know, why not, right? And um, he gets up, and I get up. And again, no one else is home. And so I get some oil, and I start anointing my house and praying over my house. There's just, I'm just in a time and a season, all right, where this is necessary. And I'm anointing my house, and I'm praying over, and I'm walking through room by room, and, and Caden says, oh, can I help? What do you, oh, no, at first he says, what are you doing? 
So I explain it to him. And he says, oh, I want to do that too. I said, okay, here. Here's a little cap of oil. I puts his finger in it. He's going around and putting oil on the doorposts and on his brother's pictures on the wall. He's praying over Judah. Judah's not even home. He's praying over his picture. And he says, dad, I actually, I, that wasn't Judah, but I prayed over Judah anyways. <laughs> Wrong picture, you know. That's okay. That's okay. You know, he's going around with me. And finally, um, I tell him, I said, you know, there's another little boy named Judah, my friend Jonah, his son, who is uh, just about a month old, uh, younger than our Judah, but still looks like a newborn because of all these birth defects and different things that were going on. And uh, I said, you know, we, we, we should really pray for him. Now, I didn't tell him anything about Judah's situation. He didn't know anything. And so I'm walking around my living room, and he's walking with me, and I said, I'll tell you what, I'm just going to start singing the song. And whenever you, I want you to just ask Jesus what you need to pray for, and you just start praying. And so I'm walking around with him, and I just start singing this song just randomly that I made up about God's glory. I don't know. And after a minute, Caden starts praying, not knowing anything about the situation. And he starts praying that he would be strengthened, that he would begin to grow, that he would begin to speak. All these things that he can't do because of his he starts praying specific things about a specific situation that he doesn't know anything about. And then he starts to, to speak, to, to pray for his mother. I didn't say anything about that. That God would strengthen her and, and tell her to never give up. His mother is with this child in a, stuck in a house 24-7. They don't go anywhere. And when he's doing good, she's on a good day. And when the baby starts doing bad, she's an emotional wreck is on a bad day. And all these things he's praying for, I would start crying because I was just blown away. And I knew that she needed that prayer, but he didn't know. But he didn't know. But he was praying as the Lord led him to pray. Seven years old. We are supposed to live... (laughs) in a dramatic, world-changing, God-fearing way. And we can't do that by ourselves. We cannot be a church by ourselves. We cannot be empowered to serve God by ourselves. God gave us a body to be a, a, a nation without borders together where his spirit would flow through and the work of Christ would not stop, dwindle, we would look back on it. No, that it would continue and we would do the same and more. And we see glimpses of it. When Pastor Mark was gone, Bob said, Darren, I think we need to pray for Mark and his family. Okay, sure. And we prayed for his family for protection. I told Mark about it that next week, and he said, well, thank you, because let me tell you what happened. Right around that same time, right on that same day. And let me tell you how I needed that prayer. And that was the Holy Spirit coming through. Last Thursday, I had about four different plans on how I was going to stop and make this wonderful message for these kids. It never happened. And as I was praying, driving from place to place, just because Thursdays are really busy, God is starting to speak to me on kind of where I needed to go with this sermon. I didn't even get to open the Bible. I, I showed up at six o'clock to preach to these kids and had to stop outside the door and find a passage. I had to find a passage. But because I was speaking to the Lord, the Lord was speaking to me. I already had this message stirring in my heart, and it just came out in the moment. And it's too easy, too easy 
to learn a lot of good things and say them because I know them. It's too easy to look at how other churches do things or how churches used to do things in the past and say, this is how we're going to do them because they work. But we have been called to a spirit-powered life. I want to close with this last passage. This is 1 Peter Oops. 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 7 through 11. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospital, uh, hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The New Testament teaches us that we have received the promise of God, a perfect access to his throne. And it shows us the men and the women who lived according to that. But Paul tells us, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the work of the flesh. Peter tells us, if you work, work with God's strength, with God's power, not your own. And to go into how do we do that would be a whole other sermon. But I want to encourage you and leave you with just this thought. Have we been walking? Have we been ministering? Have we been loving out of a place that we have received day by day from the Father? Or have we been walking and doing things out of what we've already received and known that one time, that one place where God did that one thing? Because God wants to build upon the foundation of that relationship, the foundation of Jesus Christ, of the apostles and prophets, and continue to empower us to serve one another, and to be a witness to the world each day. So I, I, I encourage you just to pray about what that means and what that would look like in your life. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that we don't have to put any confidence in the flesh, Lord, because you are with us, and you are greater than all things. Lord, when we lift our eyes up in the midst of trial, where does our help come from? Lord, it has to come from you and only you. You are the perfect help. You are the author and the perfecter of our faith. Holy Spirit, you are Father, Son, one. You are one God, and I'm thankful that you're with us. I pray, Jesus, that you would empower us as a body, to be more in tune with who you are, with your voice, that your gifts, Lord, of service to one another, rather it's administrations and helps, or prophecy and signs, Lord, whatever it is, Father, it is important and it is useful, and I pray that they would begin to come forth, Lord, that you would anoint these people and bless them as a spirit-filled people, Lord. Let us be the kingdom of God here on earth.
So I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.